America's Most Wanted, a show we all watched with our parents right before bed, a show that likely started a few of us down this true crime path we've taken. For one teen, it allowed her to end an 18-year reign of terror. I'm Christina. And I'm Kristen. And today on The Real Crime Podcast, we will be discussing the List family murders. So this case actually starts in Westfield, New Jersey, and I actually just got back from New Jersey on Saturday. Yes, you did. It was amazing. <laughs> I surfed very poorly, and I stepped on like a little baby stingray Aww. thing. I don't think it was a stingray. It was like one of the, the little- Yeah, a, a skate, exactly. One of the not kill you ones. And uh, I did almost break my face uh, because I did get hit with the surfboard. That'll happen. That'll happen. That was a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, All right. So did you did you know about this one before we decided to cover it? Okay. And I didn't either. Like, I felt like I had heard the name before, but I really wasn't familiar with it. And then kind of oddly stumbled upon it one night while I was late night watching some I feel sort like of true crime. That's how we get most of our cases. But do you do you know what's really even stranger? Because I know we've all seen every episode of Forensic Files that's ever existed. This was actually like season one, episode seven of oh. Forensic Files. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, I I rewatched it and I said I definitely know that I've seen this, but it like never registered for me. So fun stuff. Anyway, how exciting! I know. <laughs> So in good old Westfield, New Jersey, at 431 Hillside Avenue, the boogeyman of Westfield was born. Well, his notoriety anyway. John List was a very religious accountant who lived in the home with his wife, mother, and children. Now, the home was a massive old Victorian, and they knew that it was outside of their financial abilities and means, but it was a beautiful old Victorian, so they lived there. You know, he also wanted to show off oh, yeah. his great family. He was a, he really cared about what other people thought. Yes, yes. I would definitely, definitely say that is absolutely true. So he and his wife, Helen, had been married for the last 20 years. At this point, it's 1971, and they had lived in that home with their three children, Patricia, John, and Freddie, as well as Alma, John's mother, who lived up on the third floor of the home. It was like a finished attic sort of setup. So John was a very, very devoted Lutheran. He was actually so devoted that he taught Sunday school when he wasn't working every single Sunday. I think even after his kids, like, aged out of the program, like, Mm -hmm. because they were all, 
or at least close to all over the age of like being confirmed and, and any other sacraments that would occur and stuff. I don't know if that happens in Lutheranism. I have no idea. That. Um, uh, Yeah, I feel like maybe I should have done a little research about the religion. but I just like my dad grew up Lutheran and... Oh, so you should know. I, I should, I should. <laughs> but we were raised Catholic, so it's like... I don't know. I know they're similar, but one's kind of like a lighter version of the other. So I don't know. I don't know. By the fall of 1971, the neighborhood began to wonder why the family hadn't returned from visiting a sick relative. You see, they were to be gone about a week and now nearly a month had passed and there had been no sign of anyone in the house. So the police were sent for a welfare check. They entered through an unlocked window, which I totally didn't know was legal. But then again, it was like New Jersey in the 1970s. So so. on welfare checks, you can, the police are able to enter the house without a um, warrant. Okay. Only if there are exigent circumstances, which I'm not sure. I, it was kind of difficult to like get an actual definition of what that means those circumstances would entail. Right. That's Um, fair. I don't know that, I, like, there were examples of, like, if, you know, there's an elderly person at home and the police go there for a welfare check because he missed, like, you know, he, he goes a, somewhere a every day or, or yeah, something. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the police are sent there for a welfare check. The police have to call, like, local hospitals and, like, just to like elderly homes just okay. to make sure he's not there. And if said elderly person is not there, then they can enter the home gotcha. without a warrant. Okay, okay. But, like, that doesn't really apply to this case, so... I mean, it sort of does, though, because, like, the kids didn't go to school for almost a month at That's this point. True. They're not elderly, but they exactly. were enrolled in school. Exactly. And it's, like, so it's one thing, like, if he doesn't show up for work to his own personal accounting business, it's another thing if, like... So he did have an elderly woman living with them also upstairs. But, like, I think for me, the the biggest thing that would come up would be the kids not going to school. Right. And, like, the neighbors, they weren't really friendly with their neighbors, but they thought it was weird that all of the lights were always on yes. in the house. And, and I think uh, it was, like, classical music yes. playing, too, which yep. was very bizarre Like, loud classical music. Right. 24-7. All the time. For a month. Nobody is into classical music that much. I don't know that I would have waited a whole month. I don't think I would have either like I mean I guess for a week if you plan on being gone and you want to make it look all the time like someone is at the house you don't get robbed or something like that like in the days before like exactly like in the days before ring security and stuff like that would have been a great security option but to do that for an entire month when you're only supposed to be gone a week is a little strange to say the least So the police got there and the house was dead quiet outside of this music playing and cold. At this point, it's like early November. And even for the fall, like it felt like the heat had not been turned on at all, like hadn't kicked in. And this was before it was still 500 degrees in November. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So it would have been really chilly in November, not like beach weather like it is now. We used to have like snowstorms in October. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It used to be cold (laughs) when it was supposed to be cold. (laughs) This was before, this was before Death Valley reached 132 degrees. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, exactly. So, so it was strange. Uh, they 
also noticed, like we said, this kind of classical music playing and noticed a faint but really awful smell. So they're wandering through that this old Victorian and in what used to be the ballroom of the old Victorian, police found the source of the odor. They found four sleeping bags filled with four bodies. It was Helen and her three children who had all been shot to death at some some type of point blank range. So I also heard that their bodies were set up in the form of a cross. I can see that because he was so hyper religious and um, there is a segment that we'll go into where he prayed over the bodies mm-hmm. before leaving the oh, house. Spo- spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Spoiler alert. He, <laughs> he prayed. Did it. He did it. It was John List. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so as they continue to kind of sweep the house for more information, obviously, at this point, they're probably looking for the husband and the mother who both also lived there. And they did, on the third floor, find Alma, John's mother, who was shot in the head and left for dead, obviously. In the den, the police found two guns and a letter written to the List's local pastor. So the letter was essentially a confession of what had occurred in the house, and it was indeed signed by John List. He... 100% was owning up to having done this. And in the letter, he, like, explained why his mother was left on the third floor. Because he tried to drag her, but But she she was was too too heavy. heavy. Yeah. So he wrote specifically, I left her up there. (laughs) I left her up there. She was too heavy. I couldn't drag her down. So, you see, John had lost his job and feared the family would become impoverished and need to go on some type of assistance. I think in forensic files, they refer to it as welfare. But, you know, the idea of welfare or the program of welfare goes by like a ton of different names now. But he was so worried that that would be shameful to his family and to him. Because, again, he was very into keeping up appearances. Absolutely. Absolutely. In addition to that, his family seemed to be kind of leaving his religion and forming lives on their own. So, So Oh, go ahead. Well, his wife was never really as devout as he was. So no. he met her when they were very young. Um, she actually tricked him into marrying her. She said, told him that she was pregnant. And then he proposed because, you know, you can't have a baby out of wedlock, of especially not, as especially a religious man. Yeah. So they were engaged for a little bit. And then she actually came clean and she was like, no, nah, I'm not actually pregnant. Oh, my God. But he still married her. So... I mean, that has nothing to do with religion, but no, she was not very religious ever. And And, and he like forced it on her. Gotcha. Gotcha. And And she started towards the end pulling away and she's like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to be going to church. You can go ahead. You can take the kids, but I'm not going. Oh, my God. I have no interest. Oh, my God. And I'm pretty sure she was super depressed. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. She like stayed in the house and didn't leave really. That's fair. That's fair. That sounds, yeah. So I can see a level of familiarity there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can see how she, like, was kind of a burden to him because he was working and then he would have to come home and take care of everything in the house and the kids. Gotcha. Still, divorce her. Don't kill her. Oh, he can't. I know. Religion. It boggles my mind. You can't. You know, murder is better than divorce. No, it's so true, right? Well, and, and in addition to all of this stuff, his 16-year-old daughter wanted to become an actress. 
because, you know, all actresses are sluts and whores and, and demonic beings. <laughs> and so he did what any good God-fearing man would do, and he killed them all so that they could go to heaven. And, like, literally, that was his reasoning. Yeah, they didn't. he didn't want them to do anything that would get them into hell. Yeah, so yeah. So kill them when they're young. Kill them when they're young. <laughs> Don't let them ruin their lives. And so, like, with this, he doesn't just confess to these crimes in the letter. He actually describes in great detail what he did to each member of his family. And so there's no getting around what occurred here. It's, I mean... It, so basically what happened was he planned this to Hardcore. every detail. Yes. He called, the day it happened, he called all three of the kids' schools, and because they were all in different... Maybe two of them were in the same school. I think two of them were in middle school, or yeah. two of them in and high one, school, and one was in middle school. Yeah. So he called all of the schools and alerted them that they would be gone for the next week because they were visiting a family member. JK. Yeah. So he called each of them home one by one mm-hmm. so that he could hide. He drove them home, mm-hmm. ran inside before them, hid in the laundry room, Which is and so- when they walked in... From behind, he shot them in, in the back of the head yeah. and then dragged their bodies, waited for the next one to go pick them up. And then he cleaned up, obviously. Right, right. In between. Yeah. And then he went, got the next one, did it. But the last one, his son, his, actually yeah, his eldest son, came home early, earlier than expected because he was concerned that the daughter didn't show up for work and she never calls out of work. Gotcha. So he came home early to see what was going on. So he didn't have time to hide behind the closet or maybe he did hide behind the closet but the kids saw him i'm not really the details are a little fuzzy struggle and he shot him how many times like at least three i i think think more even more than that i think he i think he unloaded the gun yeah and i i think we detail it like after the autopsies and stuff so we'll we'll get into that after i jumped ahead of myself no 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 it's totally cool (laughs) um well that happens and like as far as the wife and everything she I think she thought he was, like, getting ready to leave for work. And so he just, like, goes down to kiss her goodbye. And instead he, like, shoots her point blank in the head and then goes upstairs and kills his mother. Oh, yeah. She was the first. The the wife. Yeah. yeah. The wife was the first to go. So at this point, the news about the murders has broken and the neighbors were an absolute buzz. And suddenly everybody had a very defined opinion about him. They basically said he was like a weird loner. He was like friendly, but really didn't involve himself in anything. Like he wasn't active in the neighborhood. He was quiet, kind of strange, that sort of thing. But all the kids seemed normal enough, according to the to the neighbors' opinions. So police uh, find List's car abandoned at JFK Airport with a ticket date of November 10th, but no proof that he actually caught a flight anywhere. And I'm just like imagining driving to JFK if I didn't absolutely have to. And I'm like, that's not where I would put my car. <laughs> it just isn't. Like, no, I just wouldn't do it. No, I definitely agree. But he did have like a month head start. And it's pretty smart to throw them off the track. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. No, that is true. That I would have picked maybe Bradley or something. So something. Bradley is a smaller airport. Much smaller airport. Yeah. With and I, less, less, less traffic. And you don't have to drive through New York City like to get Guardia. there. Yeah. I mean, like anything, man. Like smaller Newark. Newark's right there. He Absolutely was in New Jersey. Not. Oh, that's true. He was in New Jersey. I forgot. He could do Newark, yeah. Bradley would be <laughs> like far. I'm driving all the way to Newark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tip to the FBI. If Kristen ever does anything to, anything super illegal, don't look for her car at Newark Airport. 
Or do. Uh, or do, yeah. It won't oh. be there. It won't be there, no, for <laughs> sure. So at this point, there's a nationwide kind of warrant released. The FBI got involved. His photos went up at post offices and police all over the country were notified. But this was, of course, long before we had any type of centralized system for tracking people down. It was essentially very easy to change your identity at this point and just become someone else. Occasionally. Oh, the good old days. Oh, I know. (laughs) If only. No social media, just kind of like go off the grid anytime you feel like it. Oh, also in the house. Yeah. His house. John List went around and he tore himself out of all of the pictures. Oh, my God. I didn't see that. That's crazy. So they didn't know what he looked like. Oh, my God. Except for descriptions. There was no actual picture of him. Oh, my God. Really smart. Like super easy too back then. Yeah. Uh, because you weren't getting photographed. I know. You said social media. And I was like, oh, yeah. No, like 400 <laughs> times a day. Cheapers, creepers. So occasionally there were there would be like reports of sightings. But this case was as cold as the List family bodies by the time any real headway would be made. Wow. I know. I know. I really went for it. I was very late and tired when I made these notes. So, <laughs> so the police made sure that there were stories published on the anniversary each year. To keep the man on the like on the loose on people's minds, but it would actually take the show America's Most Wanted to help to actually find him. So for those of you unfamiliar with America's Most Wanted, a man named John Walsh, he was actually the father of Adam Walsh, who was a little boy who was abducted from a Sears store in Florida back in the 1980s. And he would actually become the first child on a nationwide missing poster. John Walsh hosted and started America's Most Wanted to help find other people's bad guys, if you will, since it was too late to help his son. The show did an episode 18 years after the murders. Unfortunately, at the end of the episode, they didn't have a recent photo of John to show his like age progression. So they essentially introduced the public to age progression as a whole with the use of a forensic sculptor named Frank Bender. So Frank Bender made a bust of what John List was believed to have looked like now, almost 20 years after his last known sighting. Also, mind you, he's basing this off of people's descriptions of him, not an actual picture. He d- he did have a picture. How I I don't know. I'm sure, I think yeah, there I was mean, like a photo or something that had been published in a newspaper that they okay. were able to track down. So at that point, they had a photo of him. Either way, being able to do like sculpt out of clay is, a bust of someone twenty years later based on a picture is so impressive. If you look at the research that this man did, and then you look at the final product, and when they finally find this guy, like what? it's it's mind-boggling like i highly suggest everyone dive into the i think it's like forensic files season one episode seven or something like that or nine or one of those um but it's in the first season it's the list family murders and i was like i i watched it like three times i was like totally blown away it was totally insane so he truly figures out like it wasn't just a matter of him like adding wrinkles to what john list would look like He truly figures out how a person like John List might age, bringing in the help of a forensic psychologist to really understand how he might, you know, care for himself as he aged. 
so much research. Like, he looks at his family uh, identity and how his parents aged. And they found these um, that his father developed these heavy jowls on the lower portion of his cheeks. So introduced that into the bust. They realized that his mouth would always be downturned because he always had this burden that he was carrying with him. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the glasses, like, he, he digs through based on the glasses that John List wore when he was young and what he thought he might wear now. And with the help of the forensic psychologist, they realized that he would use, like, a very dark frame to hide his feeling in his presence and identity and stuff behind the glasses if you will and it's identical it's it's so crazy. crazy it's so crazy so he creates this bust and that's what was aired at the end of the episode of America's Most Wanted in lieu of a picture now in Denver Colorado a family a mom and daughter were watching from their home Wanda and her teenage daughter, Eva, knew that face. They knew the scar behind his ear. They knew the glasses, the jowls. They knew the Lutheran accountant who lived next door. So Wanda, the mother of Eva, who really kind of pointed it out and said, hey, that's definitely the dude who lives next door, called and reported that their former neighbor who had just moved, Bob Clark, had recently moved from Colorado to Richmond, Virginia. Sure enough, the FBI brought in the man calling himself Robert Clark, and sure enough, he turned out to be John List. How did they know for sure? Well, just one month before killing his entire family, he had applied for a gun permit, which requires fingerprints. So you can change your name, but you can't change your fingerprints. You can. I mean, you it's can painful, burn them though. off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's one of those things where, like, wherever your stance is on gun rights, I feel like this is one of those things where being sure that you're fingerprinting and getting accurate information and stuff so you can track it is it, this is where it comes into play. Like, it's so important. So. That bust was so disturbingly close to what John List looked like. And because of the autopsy, the details, all of these things, they were able to understand that he had killed his wife and then mother first. And as the children, like Kristen said, came home from school, he killed each one and brought them to where their mother's body had been placed in the ballroom. The eldest child who did struggle... um, essentially was shot 10 times close to 10 times so i think it was like nine or 10 bullets that were fired off then he proceeded to pray over their bodies and wisely for him lowered the thermostat in the house to decrease the decomposition timing but he kept it just high enough so that the pipes wouldn't freeze exactly and he turned on the radio in the home and then just like scooted out and started a new life even remarrying a friend of his colorado neighbor wanda's so fun fact they actually watched the show together so robert clark slash john list and his new wife were watching america's most wanted together and he was like sweating bullets at the end when the bus came out but she didn't pick it up at all and she, in a press conference after he was arrested and stuff, she's like, well, I don't believe it. I love him more than anything. And he could never do something like this and blah, blah, blah. It's like love is blind. Hardcore. <laughs> I mean, he ad- even admitted it. 
Yeah. Like, how do you not And she's like, no, I don't believe it. And it's like, okay, (laughs) cool. Thanks for sharing that with us, crazy pants. So in the end, he was found guilty on five counts of murder and sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison. In 2008, he actually died at the age of 82. And that... I mean, that's a pretty long life, I guess. It's a really long life. And he died in 2008. He killed them in 1971. I mean, he lived a good long time. He lived more time post-murder outside of prison than he did in prison. He was pretty smart. The whole thing's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. But I want to see if they did like a... I wish they would release psyche vows of killers after they die to the public i really i'm just so curious about that i i would agree i would agree i think it would be absolutely fascinating to find out exactly what made him tick you know right like i totally understand the reason that they can't yeah (laughs) but still yeah but (laughs) like they totally should right yeah 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 All right. Well, that is our episode for today. Thank you so, so much. And we will be back next week with probably an even stranger case. I don't even remember what we're doing. The the German dude. Oh, so weird. Yeah. So weird, guys. Like, I wasn't prepared. I I still have not fully researched this case because my brain can't process it. And I've already talked about it with people in my Pilates classes and I'm like guys like wrap your heads around this because it's I've stumbled across it and I was like oh my god it's the weirdest we have to cover this it's the weirdest (laughs) so we'll be back next week stay tuned and thank you so much for listening bye bye